Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hello and welcome to Matcha Mornings, part of the Wander Barn Podcast Network. I'm your host, Amanda Kingsmith, and I'm excited to dive deep on topics around holistic health, the power of food, hormone health, how the practices of yoga can impact our health and well-being, and much more. So grab your cup of tea, settle in, and let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome back for another episode of Matcha Mornings. I am super excited that you're joining me for today's episode of the show. And today on the podcast, I am joined by Luce Brett. Luce is a mother and a writer, and she is the author of PMSL, or How I Literally Pissed Myself Laughing and Survived the Last Taboo to Tell the Tale. And today on the podcast, we are talking about that last taboo, which is incontinence or the idea of leaking, leaking from your bladder or your bowels. And this is something we don't talk a lot about, but one in three women actually experience this, especially after having babies. And so part of Luce's journey has been going through incontinence, feeling a lot of shame, blame, embarrassment, and feeling like she was broken, and going through the healing process both physically and mentally with this, and coming out of it with a book. And I had the opportunity to read part of her book. I'm currently partway through Loving it so far. And she talks so honestly and openly in this book about how incontinence has impacted her life and her identity as a woman and a mother. And I'm so grateful for this conversation because this is another conversation that we get to have where we're shedding light on something that so many people are experiencing and yet not very many people are talking about. So if you're a little bit squeamish with things like farting, pooping, peeing, which let's face it, most of us are, then this might feel a little bit uncomfortable. But this is a conversation that we do need to be having for the sake of women's health and all people's health. So I hope that you find this story inspiring, empowering, and educational. Without further ado, here's Luce. Welcome to the podcast today, Luce. I'm really excited to have you here with me today. It's fantastic to be here. Yeah, yeah. I'm really excited for this conversation. And I'm curious, where are you joining me from today? I'm in London at the moment, and it's in the nighttime, but I think it's morning for you. Amazing. I love it. London is actually like one of my favorite cities in the world. I haven't been for probably like, oh gosh, like seven years now. So I feel like I'm I'm due back once the borders open again. Absolutely. It's um it's very strange. We've just started lockdown again. So it's like a it's a very melancholy ghost town at the moment. This sort of what it's usually such a sort of riot, London, isn't it? And so loud and busy. And I like the busy and it's so quiet, it's strange. Yeah, absolutely. I read that in the news and I'm, I'm feeling for you guys being back in lockdown again. So hopefully that ends soon and London can get back to normal London life because I feel the same way. I feel like part of what makes London such an amazing city is that it's just got this like beating pulse all the time. Right, right. Totally. Amazing. Well, I'm thrilled to have this conversation with you. And I, I wanted to start by just talking a little bit about your story. Can you tell me a little bit about you know, how you got into, you know, talking about incontinence and women's health and on all of that type of stuff? Yeah, of course. So, I mean, I 
I had my first baby about 13 and a bit years ago and I had some complications after the birth and then I had a second child and I had some more complications and um, sort of suddenly realised that I'd sort of started on a journey without ever buying a ticket or looking at a map and I sort of hit my mid-30s and I was in the middle of this, I don't know, like a health odyssey or a health journey and it was all tied up with these things that, that are quite embarrassing and tricky to talk about like incontinence and um, birth injuries and postnatal depression and these sort of things which you can talk about a bit but are hard to really get into and I kind of started dipping my toe in doing a little bit of blogging and a little bit of writing about it and I noticed this astonishing thing that if I really mentioned these things that I found quite hard to talk about even with close friends say um, like I don't know having an accident and wetting myself or feeling very unattractive because I was scared of, of leaking or something like that I found that lots of women started to open up back to me and I sort of joke in the book but it's kind of really true I sort of became like in my local area writing for like uh, pregnancy and health newsletters and websites and things a bit of a like poster girl for post-birth incontinence which wasn't the role I was anticipating in my late 30s but you know life life offers us these strange opportunities but it was that that I was fascinated about that there are all these conversations hidden in the silence and or disguised in joke and or half talked about we sort of say oh she had a nasty time and there's all these stories that don't really get honored or heard like I felt like if I told my birth story at the beginning, I did. And then, you know, people were aghast. So I had to stop telling it because I was scared of scaring people. And it just means that women who have a difficult time don't have a story to tell. And, and when you don't have a story to tell, you bottle it up and you don't know what to do. So with all those sort of thoughts in my mind, I started to think, well, I want the conversation to change. And what the book tracks is sort of from that point where I started to think, well, I want to find out more then. What are the stats like? Are there lots of other women to, the, like me? And, and I found the statistics and I was kind of horrified that it's, you know, some stats are as high as like one in three women wet themselves, but we don't talk about it. So I just felt, well, if I can write about it, then I should, because I kept speaking to doctors and researchers by that point, And they were all saying, no one talks about it no one writes about it we don't have patients talking about this and I thought well for some reason I have this superpower where I can write about these things that some other people can't articulate and not just the physical things because in some ways I think the hardest stuff to talk about is how it changes our idea of our femininity say or our sex life or whatever and as I felt I could and I wanted to that's where it began and then I was just delighted to find a company who were forward thinking enough to agree to let me write this book about what is a globally stigmatized and taboo subject and see what I could do about starting a bigger conversation. I love that. There's so much, you know, inspiring stuff in there. And I'm, I'm so grateful that you are opening the door for this conversation. And it's kind of interesting. I had maybe like same, same, but different type of experience just with my own journey with hormones in that you know, even with like my best girlfriends and my mom, I wasn't talking openly about going off birth control and losing my period completely and the struggles that I was having with that and all the the symptoms and side effects that came from that. And I got to a point where like, I just couldn't not talk about it with people that were in my life anymore because it was becoming such a big thing for me. And as I started opening up about the struggles I was having with my period and my hormones, 
people started reciprocating that conversation and saying like, oh, well, I've actually had this too. And it was like, I was able to have these conversations with people I'd known for years and years. And, you know, we'd gone deep on other conversations, but just not that. And all of a sudden feel this connection of like, oh, I'm not alone. And I think one of the things that strikes me with the the topic of incontinence is like you say one in three women suffer from this, which means, you know, you say in your book, like you look around on like the bus or the subway and you think to yourself, oh, well, there's like probably a bunch of women right now who are struggling with this. And yet we're not talking about it. We're not having these conversations. There's not a lot of education around it. There's not a lot of like normalization around it. And we really do need to break down that barrier because if this is something that, you know, one third of the population of women are experiencing, you know, it's something that we should all be talking about as women to kind of, you know, make it more normal for people. I think also, I mean, and this is what I think really fired me on as I moved on with it. Um, I started out in the beginning of my life as a journalist, but always in um, film and entertainment and those sorts of areas. So not at all in science. And I did an English literature degree and I had all these like highfalutin ideas about writing. And I never realized this would be my first book would be about this. But what I found as I looked at it was like, not just that they're not spoken about. So we need, you're absolutely right to normalize conversations or otherwise we walk around either thinking we're abnormal or normal. And neither of those are right. Everybody's on a spectrum. So you have loads of women walking around with quite serious leaking who imagine just because they've seen a commercial on TV for an incontinence product that they must be normal when actually they need surgery. And then there's other women walking around wondering like if anybody else has ever leaked like that or if they're uniquely damaged or rubbish. And actually they could find out that that happens quite a bit and there are ways to help it so that's a problem but the other problem is and this is I mean I found this genuinely quite upsetting the more I looked at it it made me feel like a real fanny warrior sort of I found out that that there's research that shows that by not because we don't talk about it that has a trickle-down effect so charities that work with women with birth injuries in parts of the world where there isn't decent obstetric care don't get very much money or airtime and research into continents has at various points been really um, hindered by not getting people going into that area and not getting enough money and not getting enough help and there was there's quite a lot of compelling stuff around this you've got all these like patients in continents places all over the world like really wanting to try and get more money more discussion because if people don't talk about it then you know when there are innovations nobody knows about it and there's quite a lot of stuff that can be done these days it's not something I think I say in the book you know it's not like something women just have to put up with like mansplaining and Donald Trump and you know that's <laughs> we don't just have to like take a deep breath and just think oh it's, it's the woman's lot actually it isn't I mean and it's also a very interesting area as a bit of a feminist because um actually men's incontinence is is quite an interesting area too and and um the conversation around that is only centered around very specific sort of things and you just think well I know it's embarrassing but if incontinence is also linked to depression to women being put into nursing homes when they get older to fractures because older women fall over going to the toilet and if those women could have had an operation or done some kegels or made some lifestyle changes or not felt miserable their lives might have been better up to that point and you might actually have given them much longer independence and I found that all quite, I mean, heartbreaking and also quite sort of um, overawing, really, to sort of realise that I had a very everyday story that had gone a bit 
wonky um and then to find out there were all these hidden stories and there's all these effects of that stuff being hidden in plain sight and I just felt like couldn't we all just be a bit kinder and talk about it a little bit more and maybe we could make things nicer (laughs) and it just you know I don't know that's I mean that really honestly was the compelling reason for writing it because I just thought well I have to now because Mm-hmm. this now I've read all this I think wow yeah absolutely thank you for sharing that and for for those people listening who aren't super familiar with your story maybe we can back up a little bit can you share a little bit around you know you had your first child and you said you had birth injury can you share a little bit about you know just just what happened and kind of what led you down this path oh yeah sure um so I I, I am talking the book about how I kind of rocked up for childbirth like exactly the wrong kind of over-informed so I had like read lots of books and thought about it but I guess there was something about the um, animal and intense nature of childbirth that I had kind of not really picked up on so I it I found it quite shocking Um, and I tore not really really badly what we in the UK would call a second degree tear and I had a prolapse um, but only a mild one Um, all I knew is that I sort of left that labour room feeling very bruised and 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 both physically and metaphorically and with lots of stitches and um people kept I kept saying I think I'm weeing a lot and people kept saying oh it's normal after you've given birth and there's an element of truth in the immediate aftermath of a vaginal delivery there's lots of gloop but um over the sort of weeks that followed I kept saying but I I can't control when I'm doing a weed like I don't even know I'm doing it and eventually I sort of finally got in front of somebody um I also had sort of various complications after childbirth with um hemorrhages so I didn't have a very nice time by the truth be told by the time I was about six weeks old I'd been in and out of hospital I sort of didn't know I think I say in the book you know and I don't mean it as a sort of crude joke I literally didn't know what I looked like down there anymore what was scar tissue what was broken and I finally met someone who did an assessment and this doctor's like oh you really can't control when you're weeing and they sent me to physio and I had a year of physio and um helped a bit got me back to the stage where I could go to work without being really desperately worried I was going to wet myself in front of my boss or all that sort of stuff and I had another child um which I'm really was really pleased to do but after that delivery which was also vaginal um it was just it was staggering the difference so the first midwife who looked was just like okay you're leaking really badly and that and that sort of kick-started much more interventions every day we rise challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in at u.s border patrol protecting our borders is more than a job it's a calling agents answer the call working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you're ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So I had more physio and then I had two surgeries. Um, 
and one thing that never happened in any of that time so physio like um I don't know what you call um kegels is one of the words and there's lots of different sorts I think it's we can quite simply simplify things and make out that if women just did a few more kegels they wouldn't leak and like as if it's their fault and I really am not in the business of doing that like I I, I think women have enough on their plate anyway and incontinent women particularly but there, there's all sorts of exercises all sorts of lifestyle changes and things you can make that will improve things for most people but I unfortunately um, and I actually saw the surgeon who did my operation not long ago I, I have what's uh, I have very loose waggly bladder which means that it's just very hard for me to control it even after surgery so it's kind of for me it was a mixture of bad luck and um I don't know like I'm quite stretchy I even when I was a much larger I could still do the splits and things and I think my pelvic floor was just not really able to able to cope at all with two pregnancies and two births yeah yeah thank you for sharing that and it's it's kind of interesting because I, I like like we've talked about there's there's many people who are going through this and it seems like it's like a very common thing that that women you even said men are experiencing and I feel like it's it's just something that I had never even like heard of until a couple of years ago I was actually interviewing somebody for my other podcast who specializes in in pelvic health and she said oh you know I'm trying to like destigmatize the idea that like we can leak. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry, what? Like, I'm, I'm not familiar with this. It was something that like, I just didn't even know about. That's how much, you know, I guess like lack of education and lack of awareness I think there is for a lot of this. And one of the things I think that must be challenging, I don't have, have children myself yet, but must be challenging to go through this experience where you're told like, you know, birth is going to be amazing. You're going to get this baby after it. And I'm sure that that is amazing. But it seems like a lot of the times you're not like, I guess, prepared for, I guess, the trauma and the damage it can do to your body and the side effects that can happen from having a baby. I think that there's just not a lot of information out there about that. I think that's really true. And I think that that's to do with the bigger issue around um, stigmatizing women's bodies. And we played around with lots of titles for the book. And um, at one point, it was going to be called Shame, Broken Broken Fannies and an Everyday Taboo. Because, (laughs) and I, I liked the idea of an everyday taboo in it, but we and we sort of, because uh, we didn't know about lockdown coming, we didn't really want to put the word incontinence necessarily on the title because it can be so aversive. And one thing is you can't blame ourselves for n- people not knowing because nobody t- spoke about it. When I looked into the history of continence products, you know, when they first marketed them in the UK, the people who used to go door to door knocking to like ask people about the products like they used to do with washing powder or whatever, they had to work with local police because people used to ring the police if someone knocked on the door and even brought it up as an idea. Um, and it's been so um, moving the last few months. Now this book is out in the world. And I got a, a contact from um, an elderly man the other day. He was in his 80s and his wife died, I think, in 2004. And he said, you know, that he didn't know whether his wife had ever suffered with anything like that. And he thinks maybe she did, but he, he that, that nobody spoke about it. And he felt quite guilty. And I thought, wow, like whole generations who had to just keep it quiet And so we didn't know, you know, I didn't, when I was like 10, you know, I knew that a baby came out of like a hole and I knew I could probably, when I got my GCSEs and I got an A in the UK, you know, I could have drawn you some ovaries and fallopian tubes and a little uterus and it would look a bit like a ram. And um, 
I had no idea where that, when I finally saw an actual model of a pelvic floor, I was like, what? And I'd read all the pregnancy books. I mean, I was like amazing. I was like, you know, 36 weeks, small girl and melon. I was all over like how big the baby was and stuff. And then when I found out afterwards how common tearing is, how co- I thought, well, I mean, I would definitely have still had a baby, even if you had told me every single thing that happened to me over the last 13 years. I would definitely have still done it. But it wouldn't have been a shock. It was a shock to me what it was like. And I just don't think we talk about the reality of childbirth at all, because the likelihood of a vagina surviving uh, pregnancy and childbirth completely, exactly intact. This is a made up idea about that's like celebrities pinging back to their pre-birth them. And I mean, I'm all for women taking control of their bodies and great, great stuff. But what I mean is it, it's not necessarily realistic that that pregnancy isn't going to somehow change you and I think I say that right at the beginning the first thing that happens in the book is quite an immediate description of the first time someone examined me down there as I put it you know and I hadn't even know what words to use and this thought kept occurring which was like I just want to go back to being me again mm-hmm. and it honest it honestly took me quite a long time and to realize that I might never be pre-birth me that I had been changed and in many ways that was really positive but I think we hide women's stuff so much same with the menopause the same with breast cancer actually with friends I've got with that you know we act like women shouldn't like our bodies aren't something that are our bodies like it it should be okay to talk about the fact that our bodies age you know that our boobs sag that we change and, and we don't do we not enough and I think it's starting now but I think childbirth and the injuries related to it have been so hidden that, that that women don't necessarily even have the vocabulary yet to talk properly about it. You know, I found women who, who've told me that one woman said she went to the doctors and she was really dismissed. He said to her that, you know, everybody has that, you know, just like sort of shut up. No, he didn't say shut up, but pretty much put up, shut up, come on, you've got your baby. What's your problem? Aren't you grateful sort of thing? And she said, but I've, uh, hearing you talk and reading a book I said I think I'm going to go back and I said oh right okay great and she said yeah because I mean that was the 1970s and this is on um chat so I hadn't realized how old she was and she'd been incontinent for 40 years 40 years wow and I just thought that's such a shame because there really have been you could at least be comfortable or to feel like you've explored it. The other thing I forgot to say in my story, what well, I mentioned postnatal depression, but something I talk about a lot in the book was this thing where I found out how closely, it's, it shouldn't be a surprise, right? Because it's rubbish, but how closely incontinence and leaking, especially if you leak from your bowels and bladder, or um, how closely that's linked with mental health. Mm-hmm. And no one ever told me that. So even when I was having like this really top quality care, uh, physio and even like, surgery no one ever said I I was with my doctor and my GP so I don't know if that's called your personal physician or your family doctor and I burst into tears on her when I and I said to her I just can't cope with leaking from my bowels and I'm terrified and I don't think I can I don't know what to do and I said and I just feel so awful doesn't everybody feel like this don't they all doesn't everybody feel like disgusting and upset and she said nobody talks talks about it in 20 years you're the first patient I've had who's talking about the emotional side of leaking and I thought wow right because a nobody told me so I just thought I was broken and unable to cope with this thing that other women could cope with or and also if I mean how can how can a doctor learn how to help a 
a man or woman who is depressed about incontinence if nobody's like it's like the silence is so dangerous Mm -hmm. yeah yeah 100 percent. i think that that and that actually reading your story i that was something that i didn't know about so i've learned a little bit about incontinence through learning about pelvic health and women's health and that type of thing but that was something that i didn't know i had no idea that that could be a side effect of that and i think i think it's really like scary to go through experiences with your body when you kind of feel like you don't know why it's happening or you feel like, oh, this is like weird or as you say, like I'm broken. And I think that one of the things, and, and you kind of mentioned this, is like, you know, everything we see or a lot of what we see in the media and in magazines and stuff is like, oh, you know, these celebrities have these like perfect bodies immediately after birth. They're photographed in, you know, bikinis and stuff like that. And I just feel like you get this like little snippet of some people's lives, but it's not what, you know, like the majority of people are going through. And I feel like more and more, we just need the majority of people. You know, we need to see that as our day to day. Like, you know, women have stretch marks and, you know, women have, you know, maybe extra belly skin after giving birth and that's okay. It's okay for your body to shift and to change. And the idea of like getting your body back to me is like so toxic. I don't know why we're putting that out to young people who are getting ready to have babies. Right. And um, because in the UK, you have something called your uh, six-week check. Your post-birth appointment is your six-week check. And it's sort of as if you have like six weeks of your post-birth body and then it's a body and it's like, I'm 43 now and I still have a post-birth body and I will for the rest of my life. And I would, even if my children had not survived childbirth, like it's something we just don't, I mean, I hate that word honor really, but I feel like it's the best, like we just don't accept, I don't think culturally what our bodies are and what they're for. And it's so interesting what you're saying about um, feeling alone and all that sort of stuff. Cause I would say that there's also, um, a friend of mine read it and she said she did um, uh, English at a posh university and she's like you use the word broken all the time and I thought well I thought I'd been a bit more inventive and I looked through and she was right and I, and I was like that was sort of all Freudian I didn't realize how much I'd used it and how powerfully I felt broken um, and I got this incredible letter from a friend of mine um, who was having breast cancer treatment while I was while I was writing the book and um, it was just it was so astonishing. So she, she, she's a similar age to me. She doesn't have children. Um, and she went through breast cancer and she was talking about how powerless she felt and how shocked she felt in a lot of the appointments and how for her, the, the emotional resonance of the book and this idea of like being this scared patient, but you're also articulate and you're also angry and you're also grateful and you're all the complex things that anybody is but you've got this like patient label and your people keep asking you like to show them things and I'm like I mean you can make it a joke and I do a bit in the book that kind of like normally people buy me dinner first before they look there like normally if someone was going to put their hand up there I'd you know I might have expected a proposal or at the very least you know, a <laughs> weekend away and um she says the same with breast cancer she said you know so and so what I mean is there's a, I'm not saying what happens to me is as bad as breast cancer. I'm really not. But what I mean is I think that the PMSL is quite interesting because obviously the title and it's about incontinence, but actually really it's a book about resilience and hope and what that means and about um, the fact that in all these stories that I keep hearing about women's health, like 
there's a woman there underneath isn't there and uh, there's a UK actor who read the book and he said like this book is about like underneath this fragile inconvenient body that's broken in a way we don't know how to talk about there's a like clever funny woman trying to say I'm a person here like what and it was astonishing to me that someone who was going through something as radical as like you know a mastectomy and everything said that the book really spoke to her because it was about the vulnerability and brokenness and just sort of like letting that stay there in the book not hiding it or only talking about joy and resilience and stuff because those things are in the book too but I kind of did lay that out and I think that that's that's sort of quite radical it feels like talking about uh incontinence and as you say things like women's hormonal development over their life is kind of quite radical still yeah for sure for sure I think that you know slowly these things are becoming more and more talked about and destigmatized and stuff like that but I think we do have a long way to go globally I, I'm curious Luce if you can talk a little bit about you know what your what your healing process from incontinence has looked like over the last or I guess since you had your first child so first of all I had quite a lot of physical therapy or in the UK we'd call that physio um mm-hmm. And if you mean what that, I mean, that, that was about, um, uh, those, it's a, it's a lot about exercising those muscles. So it's about doing what we call kegels and sort of pulling things up. But it was also for me about things like, um, using weights and stuff to really try and strengthen it. So that was kind of stuff I did at home and I just tried to improve it. And I went regularly to see someone who showed me how to do it because I'd lost some sensation. So they needed to tell me how to do it. Um, it's always really important. Like, totally people who are suffering and you can you know have a go yourself but also it's is really worth getting someone who knows about this to look and just check that you're not got an overtight pelvic floor or there isn't a damage that was missed or whatever you know you need a professional help but then um so there was that um I had some therapy for the for the depression uh, which helped um but also I had some surgeries and those were again very it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer a hand clapper a high fiver I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Interesting. So the second set of physio, the second time I didn't bounce back at all and I was still leaking like you might when you baby's only a month or so old even when he was like toddling I mean he was potty training and I was still unable to like go out of the house without wearing pads and wearing a uniform of like black tights or black trousers so no one would notice if I like coughed too hard and wet myself um and and in terms of a healing process I get well I had I went and had a surgery and that I thought was also something that's quite a hidden thing. Um, the shock of going into hospital completely well 
in one sense and then leaving quite unwell because it was a very major surgery I had an old-fashioned surgery because I didn't have the mesh operation which was quite big then and in the UK has now been ceased because there are lots of complications and problems with some of the women who've had it but they um so that was quite a major surgery where they basically attached my bladder neck I think to my pelvic bone um they kept describing it but I was a bit squeamish I was like sort it out um so I had that major surgery I've also had minor surgery where they sort of inject a, what's called delightfully and sexually a bulking agent into, oh. um, yeah, lovely, into you to kind of, uh, which kind of sort of like, yeah, bulks things up so you don't waggle as much so you're better able to hold your urine in. So I had what's called, um, it's it's called urging continence and there's stress incontinence. And I had both the first time and the second time I just had stress incontinence. The stress incontinence is where um, about physical stress, you cough, you sneeze, you jump, you wake yourself. And I I couldn't really handle doing anything. So I had that. But in terms of, if you mean more like uh, psychological healing, it has taken quite a lot of time to feel like I owned it and I can talk about it. Because if you'd met me 10 years ago, I was never a real mouse and I've always been a bit rude, but um, I can't even make jokes with my little boys about eating sweet corn and being able to see it when you do a poo. Like I can't, um, <laughs> I'm really, really bad at um, what we would call like toilet humour in, in the UK. I don't like that sort of thing. And it has been, I've had to really force myself to talk about this and about periods and stuff. But um, yeah, I, I, it, I think it took me mostly, it was, time and hearing stories from other women and realizing that you know perhaps I had found a way through and perhaps I hadn't coped so badly I mean I think I still coped quite badly but I think that it was that that helped most of all was realizing that other women went through similar things yeah, being able to have those conversations, I'm sure, was helpful. And I, I just, you know, I'm really grateful that we're able to have this conversation and that you're open to to talk about it because I think that, like, it makes sense to me that, you know, you when this was when this was like all happening for you and when it was new for you that this would be something that would feel embarrassing or shameful. I mean, really, we live in a society where it's like not okay to like fart in public, right? So, you know, if we're like not talking about farting in public, which is something every single human does, then the idea of like wetting yourself in public is going to be like extremely uncomfortable, right? And it's going to be something that people are going to, you know, look away from if they see it and they're going to feel like uncomfortable for you and that type of thing. So... Yeah, it it makes sense to me that those are the the emotions that you'd experience and it would take a lot of like conscious, you know, development and conscious healing to be able to be open about it in that way. I think also to kind of, um, I think for me also, there was a point where I realized, um, I mean, you can use sort of metaphors and I think in the final part of the book where I'm sort of in a way talking quite directly to me. 13 years ago but also to anyone who's going through it at whatever stage they are whether it was 40 years ago or yesterday and about how there is a thing where you can kick off the bottom and when you get to rock bottom you can kick off like you're in a diving pool and try to get back up to the top and I kind of I think that um realizing that I could sort of start to fight for myself was helpful so you know I remember it was you know one thing that happened was when I first met a surgeon and he did all these tests and one of them involved weighing 
in a room in front of loads of people sort of strapped to a bed and it was like they said oh could you lift your the like hospital gown up so we could see and I remember thinking like seriously like I'm like Marilyn Monroe on the grate but like weighing all over my feet and wishing I'd shaved my legs and uh, you know that was quite rock bottomish and when I'd cleaned myself up and seen him and he was talking to me and he said so what do you want me to do Lise and I was like I want you to fix me and um and I remember even at that moment thinking oh I do oh god right okay there she is there's the raw I that is it I've had enough Mm -hmm. and I think that was very that was I don't know for me it really was an important moment and I think um and that agency might mean lots of different people so lots of different things for lots of different people that might mean saying okay um I don't want surgery I'm doing physio and if I really need to I'm going to use a pessary or I'm going to use a pad when I go out dancing Mm-hmm. And that's okay, you know. I'm not like the, I'm not a medic anyway, but I'm not selling anything or peddling anything. I just think that it's important to start talking about it, or otherwise people won't get help. And that feels very silly, like not their silly, but as a as a we're such a clever species. Like what a ridiculous thing when, as you say, we all break wind in public. Like, and I'm so embarrassed about this stuff. If if one of us broke wind now, I would blush, even if it wasn't me. I would be mm-hmm. mortified. And and you're right, because having wet myself in public, it is mortifying. And, I, you know, I, I talk in the book about, the, yeah, when I first leaked from my bowel and how I um, I cleaned it up. And all I sort of really remember, it was quite traumatic, really. And I remember then sort of one of the next things I remember is almost like washing my hands until I was bending the fingernails back almost. You know, when you get like or soap under when you're a child and you kind of, and I, and I couldn't stop washing my hands like Lady Macbeth because I was just so appalled by it. And then, and then I bought some new IKEA kitchen chairs straight away so that I would never have to, never have to clean up a mess again. But I just thought, this is visceral. This reaction you can't blame people for it. There's like whole bits of psychology about why we're embarrassed about it because it's about disgust, you know. But as it is so common, perhaps we should find a way. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's interesting because like for most of us, we don't have like a lot of conscious memories of, I guess, like potty training when we're young because we do that at such a young age, right? And I don't remember like going through that process personally. And I don't remember if it was like hard or easy. I just, you know, my conscious memories start with like going to the toilet to go to the bathroom and that not being like a thing that I ever thought twice about. And I think there's also even when you're young, right? Like if you kind of get to school age and you're still having accidents, like that's something that is really embarrassing. Like other kids will will make fun of you. You know, your parents might have to come pick you up, which is going to be shameful. And so it's very much like ingrained into us that we go to the bathroom in a certain way. And so I feel like if you're not told or prepped that this is something that could happen to you after you know, having a baby or just as you age, then of course it's going to feel like something when it happens for the first time that's extremely shocking and shameful and embarrassing. I mean, we've spent our whole lives knowing something as one thing. And if we're not prepared for something else, then yeah, I mean, of course that's going to be something that that provides us with a like, what the heck is happening to me? I must be doing something wrong type of feeling. Totally. I spoke to some physios about um about this and and they were saying how sometimes with older patients, there's like 
they will not tell you that it's happening. So you have to kind of play detective um, with the like because so you know or um, people who work in like going nurses who go in and work work with older people sort of pop into their homes to check that they're all right and stuff and finding women who've done things like uh, hidden all their knickers in places or refuse to stand up from their chair because they and you just think it's like you say it's so ingrained in us I think right at the beginning of the book I talk about um how the problem with it is is it's like it like exactly like you just said it takes you right back to nursery school or kindergarten and the person who messed their pants in the play corner and had to be collected early it takes us all right back to that and that's a hard thing to deal with whether you're a 85 year old woman who was always fit or an athlete who does really extreme sport and leaks a bit or someone who's had a baby or or even you know someone who has a not brilliant pelvic floor and is even younger you know and hasn't had babies yet but maybe has a bit of laxity um and and you know when they do I don't know aerobics finds that they can't really hold a, a fart in like there's loads of ways this manifests but because we're so embarrassed we don't talk and then and then someone says oh my god I thought I was the only one who like had to like hold in a fight in yoga and it's like right so we could have cleared up loads of just like uncomfortableness if we all just acknowledge that that's what bodies do you know just, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Hey everyone we're just taking a quick break from the show to talk about energy bits energy bits are spirulina tablets made of one ingredient algae Nothing added, nothing subtracted, just 100% plant-based algae nutrition. No sugar, no caffeine, no gluten, no soy, no additives, no GMOs, no preservatives, no binders, nothing artificial. Just 100% algae, 100% green, 100% healthy, and 100% pure. Pure and simple, the way food should be. They have high protein, high beta carotene, high iron, high chlorophyll, high antioxidants, and over 40 plus vitamins, including the B vitamins. They have electrolytes, including magnesium, potassium, and are a great source of essential fatty acids. Honestly, I could go on and on and on about how great Energy Bits are for you. And that's why I've decided to partner with them. If you want to learn more about Energy Bits or order some yourself, you can head on over to energybits.com to learn more. Use the code WANDERBARN to get 20% off your order. Once again, that's energybits.com and use the code WANDERBARN for 20% off your order. All right, back to the episode. Yeah, it's really interesting how we've kind of just anything that kind of like comes out of your body has been like deemed disgusting, right? Like burping in public, like very inappropriate. We've already talked oh, about sweat. You know, yeah, sweat. It's like you don't want to have any like sweat stains or anything. I actually remember going through when I went through puberty as a teenager, I just started like sweating, which is what the body does. And I have no idea why I was so sweaty at that point. But you know, I'd like go to school and I'd just be like terrified of having sweat stains because I was, you know, in grade like six, seven, eight, you know, middle school. It's like, yeah, that's yeah. the type of thing that's like can make you a social outcast if you're like the kid who has sweat stains, right? Right, and right. You no can't one wants stop to it. Now. Like, yeah, yeah. you can't stop. Like, it's like you literally cannot stop your armpits from sweating. <laughs> I remember just like going to the bathroom. I've tried. Yeah, dry them and fan them. And I made my mom buy me like all the heavy duty deodorants. It's just, yeah, it's, and it should be something where it's like, oh, we sweat, no big deal. 
it's funny because you were talking earlier and I've been thinking about this a lot um especially because I love I love her and the way she talks about women's bodies and I have been so heartbroken for her even though obviously I'll never meet her with um Chrissy Teigen recently and she's doing um this incredible job but I at, at destigmatizing things that are like pain or heartbreak that we don't talk about and you know when physical and hormonal and uh emotional things go wrong altogether and how there is a sort of despair that we can't name and I I you know I, I hope she's got people around her and stuff because it's just she's done something amazing for women I think sort of globally actually certainly mm-hmm. um in in more privileged countries she she's done something incredible because people just in the UK at least like there's a lot of stigma even around things like miscarriage and it's like or even death I think you know I I, I don't know I think they're sort of all connected in how we're sort of so afraid of bodies because incontinence is like a sign of decay isn't it it's like something's broken that shouldn't have broken and one of my closest friends um died while I was writing the book and um her husband is a journalist and he interviewed me about the book and he said like is there another taboo because medics often describe incontinence as the last taboo standing and even more than mental health it's not spoken about and I was like well death I think and he was like yeah that's so true because like when his wife died he's like people are like oh I'm sorry and they're embarrassed and he's like I'm not embarrassed I'm devastated but I'm not embarrassed like it's not embarrassing that my wife died it's and we can't talk about it we don't have the it is Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Words and, and like, again, we've been around a long time. We should maybe try and find, find them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. And on that note, you know, obviously having conversations like this are important. Your book is like a very important resource for this becoming destigmatized. But what else can we do? What else can we do to start making, you know, conversations around women's health, men's health, things like incontinence become more just normal part of life? So I think there's a few things. So that um, I would say that. Um, there needs to be some cultural changes even in medicine because most doctors are really brilliant if you go and speak about this there are still some people who will act like incontinence is just a part of being a woman um but but most most are pretty good so you know if you find someone who is being tricky you can almost certainly find someone else who is decent and um a lot of their conversations are beginning to be more public and i find this um a very useful thing for medicine for all of us so for example on social media there'll be lots of physiotherapists and physical therapists and midwives and people who are really starting to break open these taboos so one is about talking but not just patients talking or otherwise um I feel like I wrote this book yep and I volunteered at various things as a patient to talk about it and sometimes I think the burden of incontinence People who leak already pay the price because it's really expensive to be incontinent because the pads are really expensive. Um, You've got extra laundry, you have to buy more clothes. It's really rubbish. So you might buy more chocolate and put on weight or you can't exercise. So you put on weight 
because if you leak every time you do it, you're not going to, and people haven't even properly explored like the links between obesity and continence, for example. So there's there's the, the patients have got to talk about it, but we can't make it the incontinent patient's fault. And we can't give them the burden of changing it. We all have to change it. So one thing is practitioners talking more. And it's really interesting. If people are worried, they could like go on to Insta or Twitter or one of those social media things and Facebook groups and stuff. Have a look. There's quite a lot of people already doing a lot of work. And in those spaces, you can talk, even if it's synonymous, and you could just read and look and have a look and think, right so that's what that feeling probably is I could go to my doctor and say that because sometimes people don't have the words at the end of PMSL I worked with the GP and we came up with all these different sentences you could say to your doctor if you were too embarrassed to say I'm incontinent you could say oh I'm having trouble with this or this is what my problem is you know I leak when I have sex or I leak when I'm exercising or I can't hold on as long as I used to and those sorts of things so there's that there's talking that's a bigger thing than just one sweary woman from London writing a book which I think I've made sound very very serious and I think it's got a lot of love and joy in it I mean it is a sort of love story in its own way and, and I it is about like coming to terms with who you are and how life changes and and those sorts of things as well and sort of funny jokes and the absurdity of having an embarrassing illness because it is absurd as well um Mm -hmm. other things we can do though is you could you could screen women better so you could screen them after they've had a baby I think you could try and think about what points in women's life do they come forward and it's often years after the problem has started because they just make do so perhaps we need to um I don't know what you have. We in the UK we have like, you know, a bowel cancer check at 65 or whatever. You know, you could do some continence checking with women. You could have a check-in at the turn 40 a medical and start asking the questions because people might not answer the first time, but when they've heard it two or three times, they might feel able to answer it. I think you could be very firm on the messaging. And a lot of the companies are quite good on this, but the messaging incontinence products adverts, because sometimes they can get quite close to basically saying, this is normal when actually for a lot of people there is possibility of improvement or cure that's what like the world incontinence society type organizations all say so Mm -hmm. there is lots of help out there so there's that I think you could also have a slightly franker way of educating people because there must be a way of educating women about and men actually kids just all kids about bodies and childbirth and aging in a way that means that they're not spending their entire midlife like coming across these awful hurdles I mean so I say I'm 43 I've got quite a lot of women where I tell you what when you look at actually look at menopause and perimenopause blimey there's a lot of fibs about that and you're just like hang on what that happens but you know we could (laughs) find a way of being a bit more honest because you know these we've only got one of these bodies and you know they are quite often fight and you know I felt like my body was a traitor for ages until I actually had a you know understood what had happened and realized that there wasn't you know there was no mythical birth even if my birth had been in every way like whatever your fantasy birth is whether that's hooked up to loads of drugs or whether that's standing dreaming of dolphins in a natural spring whatever you were wherever you are I could have had the most perfect birth And I would almost certainly still have had the issues I had because of my elasticity, the way my bladder neck waggles. And I just think, well, 
we don't really come to terms with that, do we? You know, and, and you know, because we're too obsessed with changing our bodies and inventing ideals and changing our faces and stuff. And it's like, well, actually, they're the only one we've got. <laughs> we can only really change it superficially. So we might as well learn that you have to keep rocking with the punches and, and it will change. You know, there is no way of it not aging at all. You can take care of it. But, you know, I don't know. That sounds really hippie, doesn't it? If I mean, this would make people laugh, you know me, because I'm quite cynical. I'm really not that hippie. <laughs> no, no, I love it. I think it's great. And I, I love all of those tips that you brought up. And I think that, you know, it sounds like, you know, individuals and, and women who are currently working through this, you know, need to be kind of standing up for themselves and, and saying what they need from their doctors and their physios and that type of thing. And then also, it sounds like we need some shifts from the medical side of things in terms of making this, you know, less of a stigmatized thing. And then as society, I think just like working on understanding that like everyone's a human and everyone's going through something different. And I think that maybe we could walk around a little bit more comfortable with ourselves and our bodies if there wasn't this like, you know, kind of constant sort of ideal that we were we were seeking after. Absolutely right. And and one thing this definitely taught me, I'll I'll sound like I'm about to cry because I still some of it is still a bit raw. And I remember having this sort of thing where I was talking and it's like, well, we all have bodies and we all know bodies break right and there's this thing in the UK that's quite common but maybe it's common elsewhere where people will say well about say mental health or about birth injuries well you know if you had a broken leg you'd be able to talk about it we should be able to talk about it more and I did break my leg during the course of of my incontinence obviously and it was much easier to tell my boss about it than it was to tell him about my <laughs> lax sphincter you know that it was indeed a much easier and socially acceptable conversation and, and yet it's silly isn't it because we all know they break so there is that but the other thing I just always want to make sure I say because I think this is really true about healthcare professionals and I think most really good ones do. There's also two areas where they really need to um, work. We all need to work, but the medical presence to, to allow women to talk about. So one is sexual function, because lots of women just think that they have to put up with it. And it's the cost of having a baby if there's any issue, or it's the cost of getting old, or it's the cost of menopause. And there's loads of things that can be done. And, it, it, uh, you know, I speak to physios and nurses and surgeons who are like it's heartbreaking how many women have issues that could be really quite easily solved but they don't think they're important enough to go and say oh it hurts a bit when I do this or sex is a bit uncomfortable or I have to rearrange myself a bit if I need to go to the toilet because I've got a prolapse and I, and you think there's there's a lot of like upsetness that could be taken that it doesn't have to be going on because women think they have to put up with it so doctors need to screen about sex and the more we make it a comfortable conversation for women to bring that up however awkward and embarrassing it might be the more women will feel like they can do that themselves um and also about the links with mental health and I think when you get a two for one taboo like that like incontinence and feeling depressed about it that's like wow a double whammy of things you're not allowed to ever talk about you know and and they need to do need to bring that up because I it was only towards the end of my time that people really acknowledged that. And then they were all like, yeah, of course, like, of course, it made, when I sort of got really depressed at, at, at that point, I, I saw a different doctor, uh, like a locum doctor. And he was I said something and he was like, of course, like he was like, oh, they don't mention it because they just think it's a given. Like, of course, you're really upset about it. And it was like, oh, I, I wish I hadn't gone around like creating a personal sort of 
space of like self-blame when it wasn't my fault but I think mm-hmm. a lot of us do do that and and maybe we need to just work on how the conversations can be really clear and enabling so people feel like they can say actually I would like some help with this yeah yeah absolutely thank you for sharing all of that and um, this conversation in general has just been you know very empowering and just really beautiful so thank you for sharing everything that you shared loose and your book is a beautiful resource for people who want to just start learning more about this read read about your story can you tell listeners about the book and where they can go to find it okay yes it's called pmsl um and then it has the undertitle or how i literally pissed myself laughing and survived the last taboo to tell the tale um it's uh out with bloomsby so it's in all famous bookshops I don't know if you're in the UK we have to be really careful about naming brands but you know you can obviously you can get it in your Barnes and Noble and your Amazon places um it's also available on Audible that's me reading it so I had to really work on not laughing at my own jokes and not crying at my own sentiment and I failed miserably so there are a couple of points where my voice cracks which I'm told are very moving um and I'm sorry about that but people seem to quite like it on Audible um it's and um you can find me at Luce Brett on Instagram and on Twitter. And I do tweet a lot about this, um, both research and things going on, but especially on Instagram, there's loads of really interesting, empowering stuff coming out about women's health. So that's cool. The other thing to mention about the book is it is a memoir, but and it's got stuff in, but there's a section at the end for if you're having any slight issues and you think that, you know, sort of pointing you towards places where you might be able to find more or perhaps get help. And there's also some illustrations and things as well, which were, um, can you imagine my inbox for about two months was all about like kind of how women are stitched up after childbirth and how you could draw that. So it would just be like these enormous pictures. If I opened it on my laptop, it's like, wow, okay. I wanted to destigmatize <laughs> childbirth, but wow. All right then. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, I only mentioned that because, um, I have had readers say that actually it's really useful. I had one woman say she had a prolapse and she felt too embarrassed to ask what it was. And she didn't know until she looked at somebody, you know, showed her. And the same with one of my operations. It wasn't really till I had to work out for this book how you would draw it with an illustrator that I really understood what had happened to me. And I think that that can be quite helpful. There's also really embarrassingly a picture of me it's a line drawing it's not in detail but um, when they did, drew it I said oh I was a bit older than that and so they've added stretch marks in an attempt to be <laughs> honest so even the pictures are not they're not ideals of beauty they're normal pictures of being a woman but I think I think people people do seem to like it so do read it also it has got a really lush cover that's um that that wouldn't alert anyone to the taboo nature of the of the subject it's got a yellow teardrop but it's it's very classy. So don't worry, you're not buying a book that screams, I have a problem or anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a copy of it. And that is very true. It's it's beautifully done. And yeah, thank you so much for sharing all of that, Luce. I'll make sure that there are links for your book in the show notes so people can go check it out. And yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for this conversation. Honestly, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Matcha Mornings. To find links mentioned in this episode, show notes, photos, and more, head on over to wanderbarn.com forward slash podcast slash matcha dash mornings. 
To be the first to know about brand new episodes of Matcha Mornings, subscribe on your podcast app. If you enjoyed this episode of the show, please leave a review or send me an email at wanderbarn at gmail.com with the subject line Matcha Mornings. To follow along with me, Amanda Kingsmith, you can find me on Instagram at Amanda Kingsmith to learn more about other fun projects I'm working on. To find more great podcasts like this one on topics such as travel, the business of yoga, cryptocurrency, and more, head on over to wanderbarn.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you soon. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.